Well, we are thankful today uh, to have the opportunity to hear from Mark and Jen Lachance. Uh, they are serving with InnerServe, and they have a deep love and heart uh, for the Arabic population in their current city and around the world. Uh, you know, I thought I'd share as a little backstory. Um, I graduated from high school with Mark just, just a few years back. And, and as I remember it, I'm quite sure that I, uh, I think I tutored Mark um, through some really difficult classes like calculus and physics. Or maybe this is revisionist history going on here and I never even took those classes because I was too busy goofing off in high school. It's kind of fuzzy to me how it all went. But uh, Mark and Jen are just two very brilliant people and they have used their gifts uh, for kingdom work and we're just so grateful to have you here with us today. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, it's great to be here and be part of the Rehoboth Missions Conference that's done such great things for so many years. And it's also um, really a joy to see uh, among your uh, supported projects the Tent Schools International because um, we've seen it, it's really a great venture that they're doing and uh, it's meeting a need that is huge, and um, they're only going to be able to meet part of it, not all of it, but I think they're, they're going to, they have vision to keep growing and doing more. Uh, you saw, for example, Jordan was one of the countries where they operate with refugees from Iraq and Syria, and these kids, uh, uh, a country like Jordan, really, the government-funded schools there are already very under-resourced, more than we would typically understand. And most people with any means to do so will send their kids to a moderately priced private school. Uh, but they just simply do not have the resources to educate uh, thousands and thousands of more children. I mean, we're talking about a country with eight million people adding two million more refugees. It's just such a huge percentage, and a lot of them are going to be kids, too. So it's really a, a wonderful thing that they're doing. And we see also um, what happens when that education isn't provided, because uh, Jennifer will talk later about her work, that uh, kids in these situations of war and strife uh, miss years of education and fall very far behind. It's, it's extremely difficult for them to catch up and receive any um, sense of what we'd consider a normal education. So it's, it's a great thing to support. Now, moving on. Um, have you ever seen somebody do something that by looking at them, they don't look like they ought to be able to do? I always find that pretty amazing. Uh, if you watch, for example, high-level sports, uh, you know, most of these guys are just you know, lean and mean, full of muscle. They could look, look like they could run through a brick wall and not even blink. But once in a while, you'll see a guy who's like, he's kind of got a belly, and he doesn't really have any muscle tone, and you're like, what is he doing out there? But you watch him play, and he, he's, he's right there 
you know, with them, he's, he's performing and he can, he can do it. And it's pretty amazing. Or when people get a little older, you know, you look at like Tom Brady, for example, who's well into his 40s or, or other athletes who do that. Like, how can they keep that up for so long? You know, I'm that age and I'm like, no way could I do that. I can hardly like even, even run a little bit. But he's, he's out there performing at the top level still. And, and then you see people who um, manage to be somewhat fit and active, you know, into their 90s. That's really amazing. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, of, of Dick Van Dyke. You know, a lot of you know him. Well, he's still around. And um, a few years ago, he had a small part in Mary Poppins Returns. You know, he was big role in the first movie, so they had him joining the recent one. And, you know, he was dancing, and he, he hopped up on a desk and started tap dancing. He was in his 90s doing that. And even earlier this year, you can find a video of him dancing with his wife from earlier this year. Now, he's 96. I mean, he's not dancing like he did in his 20s and 30s. But, you know, pretty good for a 96-year-old guy. And I think that's pretty amazing to see what capabilities he still has at his age. So today we're going to look at an old man in the scriptures. And we're going to see what we can learn from him. We're going to have a look at Joshua chapter 14. Now to set the stage here, uh, the Israelites have now taken possession of the promised land. And they're going about kind of giving out portions to their different tribes. Now, there was some land east of the Jordan River that they had promised to some of them. And that, that's where we used to live, in the country of Jordan. So uh, we know that area, and you can see why they'd like to live there. Uh, but then the rest of the land west of the Jordan was now being divided up. And that's where we land here in Joshua chapter 14. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave to them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes— Manasseh and Ephraim. So the Levites didn't get any, but they divided up Joseph into two, so there's still 12. No portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Here's what happens. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. 
And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord. So, I find Caleb's story, and especially his boldness, really impressive. This part of the story, I don't think, is very well known. A lot of you might know the earlier part about Caleb's story, which he mentions here, but I'm going to go over it again, just to be sure. And you can find that story in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So at that time, back a little earlier, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, we have the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, and all of that. And then they were in the wilderness near the Promised Land. So the Lord directed Moses to learn what they were going to be facing. So he sent 12 spies. Uh, One man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel was sent to spy out the land, you know, secretly look around and see what, see what is there and see what kind of people are there and so forth. Uh, Caleb was the one from the tribe of Judah and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. And it lists the names of the other guys, but we don't remember them because they weren't heroes. <laughs> uh, so, so these 12 went all through the land and saw what was there and brought back uh, some fruit to show what they'd found. But they had also seen um, strong fortified cities with walls, you know, like Jericho had the walls. And they saw actually powerful people. Caleb, right away, was like, we need to go ahead and obey the Lord and take possession of this land. Let's, let's not be afraid. And Joshua was right there with him. I think Caleb did most of the talking. But then the others, they were kind of focused on all the obstacles and all the difficulties. And they started inciting all of the people to fear and saying, you know, no way we can do this. This is a great land, but the people there are just too strong, and um, we don't want to take on this challenge. And especially, they were afraid of what's called the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak. And apparently, they were some kind of giant people, like like Goliath. Goliath comes later, but apparently there were more of his type around, and they didn't want to take them on. No way. Uh, But Caleb, he was undeterred. And this is what he said back there in Numbers, chapter 14, 7 to 9. 
The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. And we're going to eat them up. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, people were angry at hearing this, and they were ready to stone him. Now, because of that disobedience of the people, the Lord vowed that that whole group of people would never enter the promised land. That whole generation was going to be stuck wandering around in the wilderness. And then, so 40 years passed by with that, and all of the adults passed away except for Caleb and Joshua. So then Joshua became their leader after Moses died. And then we we see Caleb here. We're, We're moving ahead a few decades to what we read in Joshua 14 now when Caleb is 85 years old. And Joshua's got to be pretty old too. So he resurfaces, and he shows this really impressive courage. He's 85 years old, and he looks out at the land. He sees there's a part of the land that's a hill country with strong people and fortified cities. Maybe he remembers what it was like. I don't know. But he looks at that, place with the the most difficult place with the strongest people and he says bring it on bring it on yeah i'm 85 bring it on he looked out and he he was like if i get a chance to choose i'm going to pick the most difficult challenge give it to me and my guys we got this so then how did that work out well He succeeded in driving out the people of that portion of the land. Here you see Joshua 15, 14. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. So these were the giants. These were the Goliath types that everybody was afraid of. And he defeated them. So now, with that in mind, We look at a much later time. And Jesus sent his church into the world to make disciples of all nations. And then I think there are some parallels here to Moses sending out those spies. Those 12 spies were sent out to the land. Similarly, Jesus sent his 12 apostles. Now, in in that case, with the apostles, they were obedient It did take them a little while to leave Jerusalem, but but they were obedient. And then we have another apostle that I want to talk about, who I think has a lot in common with Caleb, and that's Paul. Because he too was willing to take on the most difficult challenge that was available. It was his passion to go to people who had never heard the gospel. Even though, in a number of cases, they reacted negatively, even violently against him. So just here's an example. Uh, In Acts 14, he was in the city of Lystra. And they got so angry with him there that his opponents uh, stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. And then they just left him there. And he wasn't dead. Uh, They 
he revived, and uh, his, his friends came and joined him. So what did he do then? Well, <laughs> he went back to Lystra. He went back to the same city, and it wasn't until the next day that he moved on. And we also see in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul kind of tells us about all the sufferings that he's been through in his work. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So Paul encountered these massive obstacles in pursuing that calling and that holy ambition. And he always took on the greatest challenges to obey the Great Commission. And he tells us clearly, too, in case you're wondering, what his motivation was. That's in Romans 15. And there he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of sins, signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So like Caleb, Paul was ready to take on a great challenge. His task was bringing the gospel to others who hadn't heard. And I want to point out, too, that this ambition led him to say no to other very important things. It's why he was hindered from coming to them at Rome. So he, in all this time, had not yet visited that church in Rome. So we can't do everything as individuals. And sometimes prioritizing the greatest needs, the needs of the unreached, means that some other needs that are valid aren't going to be met completely. It means there might be times to deprioritize needs of some people around us who, you know, might be able to fend for themselves a little better. Now, going back then to that Great Commission, it's your missions conference to make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach them. This is a commission for all of us, too. But I'm talking about how we do it. Not whether we do it, but how. The way we obediently carry this out is by willingness to take on challenges. And here's what it comes down to. <clears throat> the Great Commission is lived out in a number of different ways. Now, there are people like Paul who were called to take the gospel where it hasn't been heard and known. And I think that, you know, more need to accept that call, and, and everybody needs to get behind them somehow. 
there are giants in that land. There are many obstacles that will work to prevent taking the gospel to the nations. And then at the same time, a lot of us are called to live faithfully in the situations in which God has placed us. And there might be giant obstacles for us too. I think there are. So what are they, and then how do we go about facing them? We look for the challenges around us. And like Caleb, we then say, bring it on. We look at something like poverty, which is a giant, and we say, bring it on. We look at broken families, and we say, bring it on. We look at addiction, bring it on. We look at confusion about sexuality and gender, bring it on. And these obstacles can look really scary, and they should be, but these are what God is calling us to confront in love and compassion. So let me put this in some other terms. We are called, each, to a holy ambition. A holy ambition is something that God has stirred inside of us to do, and it's something that's in line with what he wants for the world. And that ambition, then, might fill us and consume us so much that it keeps us from lesser things that are less meaningful. You know, I think there's a line in the first song that says, we refuse to waste our lives. Well, we've got something important here. We've got an ambition. We're not going to just, you know, mess around having fun and meaningless things. That ambition will keep us from lesser things that are not as meaningful. So we look for opportunities then, opportunities to take on challenges and do things that other people don't want to do because they're too hard. We look for people to spend time with and show compassion to who are ignored by others because it's just too hard. Most of us, we go through our lives looking for the easy way, I think. Ask yourself if that describes you or if it has described you at times. Am I looking for a comfortable way to go about things? Most of us are used to, well, <clears throat> let's say, like, you know, looking for a comfortable position working at a well-resourced school or looking for clients who will be easy to work with and are always going to pay their bills fully and on time. Or, you know, most of us are used to steering our kids toward friends that are from, you know, the good, stable homes and then you know, we're not going to have to go out of our way to help them too much. And that's how the mission of the church is neglected. So first, what I would say then is to, is to young people here is to look for the hard things and go after them. So, you know, if, if you're interested in, in being a teacher or coach or something, look for those kids who really need you who have some real obstacles in their lives. Or if you're interested in working in a medical field, then make sure that you're putting some time or even all of your time into a clinic that serves people who have serious problems 
and probably aren't going to pay their bills fully. If you want to work in a business, then find ways to benefit poor people in that business. And maybe hire somebody with a difficult background. Give them a chance. So Caleb was doing these things when he was 85. He was saying, take it on. Bring it on. Take on the challenges. I think we can do it too. And then if you're, if you're not one of the young people looking at your career starting out, if you're kind of in the middle of it, how can you make a shift in some way to take on challenges for needy people? Or how can you maybe open up your home in some way, open up your life to others? How will you spend your free time, too? Always doing what's fun and comfortable or finding a way to pour into others. Some are heading to retirement and you're going to have some extra time and energy. So how can you use that time and energy to make a difference in the lives of others? And then some of us are in a position where, you know, we might be kind of locked into a pattern and what we can do personally for hurting people might be kind of limited. We might not be able to be, so to speak, on the front lines. Maybe we can give a little free time, but, you know, it's limited. But we'd like to do more. Um, these are the people in that position who can really be of great value in supporting others. The other Christians who are on the front lines who are in those difficult situations all the time. So if you think of Caleb, Caleb had people probably cooking his meals and getting his weapons prepared or his clothing or, or something. And Paul, we know, had people helping him out financially so he could spend more time in ministry instead of working to make tents and such. <clears throat> so in the same way, uh, some of us might be called to uh, look for those who are jumping into those difficult situations, who are carrying the burden of hurting people, and, and look for how we can help them with that, how we can support them in it. Uh, it's common in churches, you know, we like to talk about all of us being missionaries. Well, well if that's true, then how can we see that some will need extra support who are taking on those difficult ambitions and who are dealing with that kind of you know, stress and exhaustion and probably not paid very well for doing that hard work. So if you're not in the place of being on the front line with the difficult challenges, you can be on the lookout for those who are and try to bless them in some way. You know, maybe they need an evening of babysitting. Maybe they need, uh, could use a gift card or uh, just even time to sit down and unload some of what is hard with what they're doing. Don't sell yourself short. I think we're all called to sacrifice. It shouldn't be the case where we're just a few are like, yeah, I'm called to sacrifice and then it's super hard for them. I think we all are called to find ways to be with them in that. So I'm going to ask now if you have like a pencil and paper in front of you 
to think about a few things and maybe jot them down. I want, first, just think if, um, if you've had anyone in your own life who invested in you. If you can think of maybe a time when you were the challenge uh, when you were younger or something that, um, you know, maybe you weren't making the best choices or uh, things weren't going that great and somebody kind of uh, stepped out of the normal ways of doing things and paid attention to you and helped you out. Think about that. Has anybody invested in your life in that way? Next, what's a challenge that you could take on? Maybe something that you see is really tough for some people. Maybe even a, uh, a particular person who you know could really use encouragement and some help. Maybe a young person who's in a tough situation. And then next, um, who, who do you see around you who's taking on challenges that maybe could use some support and encouragement in doing that? You see anybody doing that that you think, I want to help them with that. So here in this mission conference, uh, I think we need to give a little credit to the man who kicked off the modern Protestant missions movement. You might have heard of him. His name is William Carey. He was an English cobbler and a part-time preacher. He headed to India in 1793 and had a huge impact there. And this is something he was known to say. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect that God will move in power and then go out in faith to try great things, to take on challenges. Now make sure you've made that connection with God first. Caleb was trusting in a promise, and Paul was trusting in promises, and we should trust in God's promise and provision too. Don't attempt and then expect. Make sure you're expecting first. And then uh, something else that Paul said I think really fits here. Uh, he uh, kind of praised this rather lengthy prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, and he ended that saying this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able and willing to give us more than we expect. I think the problem is often that we don't expect enough. And as we expect more, he's faithful to supply what we need. But then remember, we don't do it alone. We do it together with others.